Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey there team, Oliver here. Today I interview Horace for a fun review of the parallels between the smartphone revolution and what we're seeing play out in the micromobility space as we see the growth of trips done by lightweight electric vehicles. It's also a hilarious chance to hear Horace talk about how we think about children as a species and why we don't apply the same thinking to how we build organizations and products. In terms of news, the big one that we have is that Micromobility World Conference is coming up. It's our first all-digital conference, coming on the 27th to the 29th of January. We've got amazing speakers lined up, including Wayne Ting, CEO of Lime, Horace interviewing innovation gurus Gene Munster and Benedict Evans about micromobility and disruption, and some other yet-to-be-announced big names in the world of urban transport design, investing, and micromobility, which will be released in the next few weeks. I am super excited for this. It will be a chance for us to reconvene even digitally and get access to some amazing interactive programming covering this topic we all know and love. The event is free and will also include a VIP tier for those who want to participate in curated discussions that will help facilitate. Get your tickets at micromobility.io. And one news, rumour has it that Bird is exploring going public via a SPAC or a special purpose acquisition company with Credit Suisse Group. Blank check companies have boomed to an all-time high this year. If this deal goes through, Bird would be the first micromobility company to join the party. Exciting times. Finally, on the back of Tia's massive $250 million round last week with SoftBank, Bolt has come out swinging. It's preparing to make a big splash on micromobility with a 100 million euro investment strategy in electric bikes and scooters. The Estonian company, which was started solely as a ride-hailing operation, has greatly expanding its footprint in Europe from 45 cities to over 100, with aims for 130,000 e-scooters and e-bikes in the streets by 2021, which in theory would take it past here. Things are heating up. All right, and now here's Horace. Welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today Horace. But Horace, you're in, you're in Boston now. Yes, in Massachusetts, um, and I'm here for a few weeks. Yeah, amazing. How was the travel experience, if I may ask? Well, actually, compared to what it was six months ago, uh, I flew in July, I flew the other way, I flew from the US to Europe, and at the time, the procedures were very imperfect. There were a lot of people who didn't know what to do, as far as the, Mm. you know, the airline people, they're very nervous, and... And so you could be denied access because you didn't have the permit or they felt that maybe you were sick and all these other things. And and I went through many, many security controls and many, many passport controls. And uh, But now it seems the airlines and the governments together have sort of standardized the procedure and the, and the flights are happening, but yeah. you are expected to quarantine yourself when you arrive. And <laughs> then you, you're supposed to wear a mask, obviously. Mm-hmm. It seems to be that people are are actually, um, um, you know, getting things done, which is, um, which was haphazard at best uh, six months ago. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Um, cool. Well, look, the 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 conversation that I wanted to have today has been spurred on by two two things. One is, um, only this morning you posted. Uh, a tweet in reference to the Forbes cover in November of 2007, which was talking about, will Nokia ever be unseated? 
And at that point, you said the iPhone had been launched in June that year. Some could tell that Nokia had no incentive revenue models to pivot to platforms and ecosystems. Disruptions happen because of a business model asymmetries, not competence asymmetries. And I just, I, the, the disruptions happen because of business model asymmetries and not competence asymmetries feels to me like there's a whole thing there to unpack. And I wanted to call you and let's record this conversation because, um, when we think about micromobility, I think it's one of those, as we're trying to watch this space, we lose ourselves in the details and the minutia. And I wanted to go up to a sort of 10,000 foot view and, and talk about why that's the case in disruption theory. Right. So so let me just put the context so that that cover, I remember it well. Uh, so it was it was uh, the CEO of Nokia at the time. His name was LPK. Uh, well, that's his uh, uh, initials, actually. But it was uh, mm -hmm. it's a complicated Finnish name. I won't try to... Uh, foist upon you, but he was at the CEO at the time, and he was, you know, there's a famous picture of him in the profile with holding on a, a very thin, very nice flip phone, and the, the cover said, one billion customers, will anything ever unseat Nokia? I mean, they had reached that pinnacle of, uh, of customers in 2007. The revenue were not peaking in in seven. I think the p p revenue peaked in 04, but nonetheless, there were just a huge number of customers. And the one billion number was compelling. It's a compelling number today because Apple has reached one billion iPhone customers. It's taken them a good 13 years. But that, mm -hmm. that fall, November 07, was just a few months after the iPhone launched, but that was like the market launch. The official announcement of the iPhone occurred in January of 2007. So we had to wait between January and June, six months, before we could get our hands on a phone, but they had put it on stage and Steve gave his famous keynote about it in, in January saying, okay, we're gonna ship this in about six months. And they did, and mm -hmm. they launched in June. And so a few months later, obviously, July, August, September, October, November, like a few months later, um, uh, this cover photo comes up. And this is the, the you know, the, the, the let's say, uh, at that moment, uh, looking back, it looks like, wow, how could Nokia not catch on to this, this threat that they coming. were facing? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the actual reality. At that moment in time, not only was Nokia at its peak, but Apple didn't have an app store. Apple didn't have any customers and, and any operators using the, you know, or selling the iPhone. So the mm -hmm. operators was, was the real question everyone had. It was only one had AT&T in the United States in that first yeah, quarter. Right. You couldn't get it anywhere else. Yeah. yeah, it was really a funny pricing as well. They were sort of asking AT&T to give them like 20 bucks a month for each iPhone customer. It was... You know, the pricing was was somewhat subsidized, and yet it wasn't, so it was complicated. And everybody looked at them and, this, and said, well, these guys don't know what they're doing. I mean, this isn't just Nokia saying it, but all the analysts in the, in the industry looked at it and said, you know, this is pretty silly what Apple's doing right now. They're not, a, they're not able to get any carrier customers. There is no 3G capability on this phone. The first generation iPhone had no 3G at all. Everybody else already had 3G. It's like same thing today with 5G. Like it seems like Apple's late to the party. Um, it didn't have uh, great anything about it except it had this touch screen. So it didn't have a lot of uh, um, uh, memory, didn't have, you know, you could play some songs, but it didn't have a lot of memory. I think it was eight, eight megabytes or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and so 
the problem uh, version one of the product was people were scratching their heads and saying well it's neat it's cool it's kind of really futuristic ux but it doesn't seem like it's competitive on a lot of features and it gets worse a year later 2008 Apple finally launches, this is fall 2008, a year after that photo was taken, everybody asking, uh, you know, again, how, is, how can you unseat Nokia? A year later, the 3G launches, and people are like, okay, finally, it's, Apple's got a little bit better phone. Uh, also, you know, they didn't do very well with carriers. Maybe they were starting to launch with one or two European carriers at that moment. And what happened was that the stock price of Apple collapsed. It was completely like, you know, blown away by the crisis that occurred at, the, at that time. It was, this was the, the financial crisis, late 2008, mm -hmm. early 2009. The Apple stock was in the toilet, which I mean, and, and it was being thrown away. It was just being discarded. And Steve Jobs famously went on, he almost never did this. He went on the conference call that occurs with analysts and pleaded with them pleaded with them and saying, give us a chance to prove our product, our iPhone 3G. I think it's going to do really well. And I think we're all actually going to overtake BlackBerry this year. He said that, you know, not Nokia, but BlackBerry. And everybody said, I don't think so. The stock fell on his appeal for calm and, and reasonable judgment on, on the basis of the company. I remember that quarter when he, he said, bear with us. And boy, mm -hmm. did people beat the hell out of them. And, and that's, that's the history now. A year and a half after the iPhone launched, no, uh, uh, not only was, was, was the iPhone not considered a success, but it was a considered um, uh, that you know, this company may not make it. You know, it, was, it, was, it was existential. And Nokia suffered a little bit during the recession as well. But they're, you know, they were still okay for a long time to come. They had a low in business, meaning that they're they were selling tens and tens of millions of of not smartphones but dumb phones in mm -hmm. Africa and in India and in 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 China. They were just had killing it worldwide at the low end of the market. And so um, the the point I'm trying to make though is that the judgment on Apple being not only a success with the iPhone but even surviving surviving was not decided for years and years to come because everybody said well you know the iphone is one thing but the ipod is dying and the mac is dying and and so the iphone may not make it or it may just muddle along as a, as a as a tiny niche so the, the the history of course we look back and say wow this is the and by the way today we can argue and I've made this point that the iPhone is the most popular product in the history of the world and mm -hmm. I, I don't make this sort of like without without evidence it is in terms of units shipped and value created clearly more valuable than any durable good ever sold i mean just the numbers bear this out i actually posted something about this years ago where i compared it to the most popular of everything else that has yeah. existed and it it's it, it it overwhelms everything else now again my point is this though the, the, the disruption that occurred on Apple, and this was something that was very difficult to, uh, to make clear because disruption theory back, back then in 2007 suggested that things were coming from the bottom and, and, and low-end product would overwhelm eventually the high-end product. And this iPhone did not appear to be a high-end product. Uh, sorry, it did not appear to be a low-end product. It appeared to be a high-end product. 
Yeah. And, and, and so how could it be disruptive? What really happened to Nokia, though, is that it was in the business of selling hardware primarily, and it was disrupted by a new business model of computers were, which were making phone calls, which also were, um, let's say, uh, platform Browsing products. the web. Yeah, they were platforms. Cetera, they cetera. they yeah. had the the operating system and the apps in particular, but those came later. The apps only came in, uh, I believe, um, two thousand eight or nine. Um, yeah, one year yeah. later, yeah, one year later, and then you know the app store started to take off and really prove why this product was different than just making phone calls and sending texts and maybe browsing the internet, which were things you can do with other phones as well. But once the apps, people started playing not just games, but you know, discovering all kinds of cool things they could do, and eventually led to the micro mobility revolution that we are experiencing today, because you could summon a car and you could find a bike, and you mm-hmm. couldn't do those things before. And those were because the apps got written for those. It wasn't because, you know, Apple wrote those apps. It was third-party apps. Um, and so the, 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 the challenge for disruption is, like, what is your frame of reference? Are you looking at the iPhone as a an expensive phone? Or are you looking at it as a really cheap computer? And not just cheap, but actually different computer, because what it did was put power of the ARM processor, which now, again, moved to the Mac, as we know, Uh, Mm -hmm. But the ARM processor in your pocket with the architecture of a computer, keeping in mind, again, this thing runs effectively a Unix operating system, which used to be on workstations only. Um, It had a very clever user experience and user interface based on touch, but it it ran in the kernel and, and, and the software stacks were entirely based on Unix, which is a powerful and stable operating system that Apple uses also in OS X and it's, or now Mac OS and it's mm-hmm. desktops and laptops. So what what the, what they were able to do with 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 a pocket phone is make it a pocket computer and the pocket computer was a much much lower end computer than the than than uh what what uh you know a desktop could do. But that thing got better and better at computing and it didn't need to get any any better in phone calling. So it it just it just created a new market for computing. It didn't create a new market for communication, although we ended up with social media doing that for it. Social media came later and said, ah, here, you can do things like likes and emojis, and you can show people, you know, uh, po- photos and, 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 and go viral with stuff. All that, all that happened by other parties, not by Apple. So what's interesting then is if you think about the, the, the trajectory that the iPhone went on, and it's still on today in terms of mm-hmm. cameras, in terms of sensors, in terms of battery life, and all those things, these were not things that people wanted out of phones. And they wanted to have basically b- very basic functionality, very long battery life, and f- fairly strong durability so that the phone would... That those were the basis of competition. Because that's what the job, of, the job to be done of the phone was, right? Which was, was exactly, but yeah. but it wasn't after 2010 or so people started to change their minds about what phones should do. And today, not only you know all iPhones, but also all the Android phones basically look the same. They all rectangular square scre- or uh, rectangular screens with uh, touch interfaces, almost no moving parts, etc. So now, okay, what does this have to do with micromobility? The, the, the point about disruption is that it's a phenomenon 
that's so difficult, even if you read the books, it's so difficult for you to get your head around to understand whether it's happening or not. And the reason it matters is because if it's something, if disruption is occurring in an industry, you tend to see a turnover in who is, who is the dominant set of companies. That's the real evidence that a disruption has occurred. Has mm. the set of companies, the so-called incumbents, and we just had an election in the United States, by the way, an incumbent loss, which almost never happens. The incumbents tend to win because they're more familiar. They've got the advantages of incumbency. And by the way, pollsters have to f put that into their data to, to actually amplify the value of the incumbent because they know more people are likely to vote for someone who they know versus something somebody who they don't know. This, mm -hmm. this incumbency is why the word was stolen by Christensen. It comes from the notion of, of elected office. And so the incumbent always has the advantage. Typically, they have the money, they have the name recognition, they have the market access, their known entity, they have a brand, they have all those advantages. The entrant, on the other hand, has all the disadvantages. They don't have the money, they don't have the right people. Of course, with money, usually you get good people. Uh, and then, you know, it, it just it just looks like it's David versus Goliath. It's, it's, a, it's a strong, strong incumbent with all the advantages in an entrant. Now, what, what disruption says ultimately is at the end of it, at the end of the process, that incumbent will tend to either abdicate, give up his throne, or will disappear. Now, again, it may not be that all disruptions end in the incumbent dying, you know, mm. like, like maybe like the real David and Goliath. It may simply be that they step aside become a second or ter or you know a, or secondary player in the marketplace and effectively the entrant bellies up to the bar they suddenly have a seat at the table and this yeah. by the way is what happened in the automotive industry because when toyota honda nissan came into the industry they didn't they, they quote unquote disrupted it because they changed fundamentally the economics but they didn't get rid of the automakers in the in in the US or Europe many of them actually merged or end up ended up in some kind of reconfiguration um, and they maybe even went to bankruptcy, but they came back as GM did, as Chrysler did. Chrysler went into, um, into bankruptcy, I think, even more than once. Um, a lot of Europeans either, either sort of merged or decided to sort of, you know, sell themselves to someone mm -hmm. else, but they're still existing. But the point is that the most of the profit captured in automotive shifted. And there wasn't this hegemony from the big three automakers in the U.S. or the you know, the equivalents in Europe, like Renault yeah. and, uh, and Fiat and so on. We ended up with a, with a much more diverse group of companies and the entrance really captured a lot of the attention. So that is the ability of an entrant to step up and get significant share, significant profit, and potentially even dominance in an industry which obviously is it has all the advantages going the other way. So that is where... You know, if you look at the phone, phone landscape, there were five or six companies that were dominating the, the phone business in 2007, Motorola, Nokia, uh, Samsung, and um, Sony Ericsson, uh, um, and, uh, you know, there, there were uh, a handful. Nowadays, the biggest are, um, are, are still uh, Apple, Samsung, 
Huawei, which is uh, out of China, and the two or three other Chinese companies would probably make up the la- the, the, the top five. Now, mm-hmm. if if you were to say, well, w- 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 wait a minute, I, 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 what, what happened to Samsung? Samsung's number two or one even on any given quarter, maybe actually number one on a consistent basis. Where's that disruption? Uh, you know, yeah, you, you, Nokia got, got got disrupted and Motorola did as well. But as you can see, it's not about wiping out the incumbents. It's just that the dominance of them is 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 diminished or or disappears, and that the entrants get to actually make a, a big impact and possibly controlling the whole space. But That's are they what- the ones? So, so just really quickly, are they the right ones to be comparing that to? Or, or would it not be that you'd be also looking at the kind of the wider ecosystem of computing devices? So relative right, exactly. to who Very is fun. actually consuming computing? Who Absolutely very valid point, because if you were to measure the entirety of the market in 2007, all yeah. the phone companies put together, now the the value of Apple's iPhone is bigger than all of those guys put together. It's actually grown the market so much bigger, of course, um, because uh, the, there are more users of phones. Generally, we've gone to mm-hmm. you know billions and billions. The value of the phones has gone up. Um, and and so you, you you end up you end up with a multiplication of of the original market size. The, the w- so there's a market creation aspect, which by the way is another thing that the theory got amended with is the idea that you can actually leave the existing market alone and create a new one for yourself, where you you effectively are 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 you know create dominance and over time the relevance of the previous market sort of diminishes. And and so people migrate between markets because again, if you're dealing with computing versus telephony, you know, you, then maybe it's not. We shouldn't consider them to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's complicated and it's subtle. And and, and the 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 challenge is is though to understand the dynamic here is not obsolescence. It's not the fact that somebody came in with a better product, a better product that obsoletes an older ver- version of it of, of it. Like let's say color television versus black and white television, stereo sound system versus monophone sound systems. Okay, this was things yeah. in consumer electronics for year, ages. Or even in the car business where you have a faster, better, more safe car versus a slower, less reliable one, which would have been, let's say, the Japan, Japan versus versus Detroit. Mm-hmm. The, the, the idea is, isn't just obsolescence, isn't a better thing. It's more that it redefines what better means. This is this is the crucial thing, and, and this is why I say micromobility disrupts not because it makes a better car, but it makes a worse car. It makes something, however, I use that more for 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 effect, but it makes something that isn't a car possible, serving the problems of society. But it, 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 it does so by refocusing and, and moving attention away from what we thought was the performance metric of transportation, which would be speed or, or, or um, even MPG and safety. Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. move away from that to something else. So that, that's, that's why when you think about, and there's some tests, rather than even spelling out what it is, you might be better off looking for the litmus tests. So I, one of them is this, is, the, is there a possibility for an entrant to displace the incumbent? So is the end game that the entrant is able to effectively, again, come to dominate an industry? That's one of the results. 
but along the way does the incumbent does the incumbent feel motivated to match the entrance you know value proposition or is the right. or is the incumbent much more willing to run away and leave that market to someone else that's so, the, so, that's the key yeah so so in this so when we talk about micromobility and we're and we're thinking about applying this the, the theory to this who are who are the incumbents that you perceive uh that micromobility is up against because i think we've oftentimes talked about it as being car companies and or there's also traditional bike manufacturers and or traditional scooter manufacturers etc so where we where do we think about the incumbents in this space is it bike manufacturers is it auto manufacturers and then how are they how would how would we apply this theory directly to them right it could be it could be transit it could be buses it could be even walking that's being disrupted by micromobility but the 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 difference is that uh, this is where again Christensen came with a new way of thinking about markets is that there's a job to be done that there's a job to be done and you should measure the market in terms of that job so if so let me try to um let me try to give the example here of um i remember this came out during the blackberry i'm going to try to stick to the same analogy to the phone and and so on when the blackberry was was around christensen observed that people in airports were messing around with their blackberries while they were waiting for their planes and he observed that the fact that they weren't doing this with a phone was that they were doing something else to uh, occupy that time, the downtime, that niche time that existed in an airport. And he said, well, what would you do if you didn't have a BlackBerry, and this is before the iPhone, what did, did people do while sitting around at the airport? And the answer was, they would probably go get a magazine or a newspaper, and maybe, you know, they still have some television, maybe monitors or something you would watch. And, and so people occupied themselves with reading materials, typically. And so he concluded that the BlackBerry is a very effective competitor with the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you see how insightful that is because, as it turns out, what you can buy on your iPhone today is the Wall Street Journal. And the expectation from Apple is that you will use your phone to... Now, of course, we ended up occupied by a thousand other temptations besides the the the, the newspaper so what what really happened is we used this clean slate upon which to draw social media which end, ended up being uh, intoxicating in its mm -hmm. own right mm -hmm. and 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 so we we are drawn to it in our in our in our free time which made the empire of facebook possible but the content at the time didn't exist in social context it existed in this published context and so that's how he said the job of the device that's in your pocket therefore you know moves beyond being something i used to communicate to something that's used to consume content and that content being you know pocket uh friendly would would need to be you know re rethought of and that's how we ended up with social media but the the the, the observation for tr micro mobility then is this we should ask is the market miles and if not is it smiles 
or is it something else altogether? And I think the the when the car was new, by the way, same thing happened when you when the car was new. People would have been tempted to say, "Well, it seems like it's competing effectively with horses, trains, and walking." And those would have been the three modes that people had available to them. Maybe in the cities, you could also see effectively trams or or what are really city trains. Um, and and that's what was available in late 19th century, early 20th century as options for transport. But yeah. in reality, what the car did is, is substituted, for example, where I live now, um, there would have been no train, uh, there would have been no horses, because frankly, nobody would have lived here. It would have been farmland. What we ended yeah. up with as as suburbs is is populating farmlands near cities, which uh, because of the spread out nature of it, um, would could be addressed by a car, but not not by any of the previous modes. So mm -hmm. we re reconfigured our living spaces and our working environments and everything else to to um, that because the car made possible new arrangements, and so it created its own new market. And uh, as a result, we also culturally began to shift the way we live. So we, th we moved to things like takeout, drive-through, cruising, mall shopping, um, big box shopping, you know, going out to, you know, your Ikea or your, your, um, yeah. also your the, best the, buy. Yeah, also the rise of this idea that you'd, I mean, I feel like it also unlocked completely new ways of, of working, which is that you could live you could live far away from a factory or whatever and be able to get to it rather than necessarily having to live close yeah, well, to yeah yeah within a half an hour or or so uh, you you could you could travel further than you would but it it that was in the beginning of course with within congestion and other things we end up mm -hmm. with a with a different uh, economics for the trip but but the fundamental point here is this now back to micromobility um the the computer the phone, the car, the biggest, most common uh, disruptions I can cite, created their own markets. Initially, they were compared to what was existing before, and it seemed like they were not good enough. The entrants made, made effectively for themselves, carved out niches, which then grew into big, big markets, and eventually the incumbents kind of folded and, 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 and either switched modes or disappeared. And, and so as a result, this is what really disruption feels like. You just, you cannot measure the new with the met, with the, with the, with the, with the rulers, the, mm. the, you know, the, 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 the measuring stick of the old, you would have to redefine the basis of competition. Now, my expectation for micromobility is that it'll, it, it, it's, it's sized again as a low end when you look at it from the vehicle point of view and you ask the question, are we going to be, should we measure the incumbents as vehicles? Well, there are a few other services out there which can be considered competing on this transportation market, like I mentioned, transit, possibly car sharing as well. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, I still think this is, feels more like the car being compared to the horse and the car being compared to the train. I think it should be more like what can people who have micromobility as a as a as an option what will they do differently and what kind of trips will they take that they wouldn't have taken otherwise 
And so it's going to create niches for itself. Initially, there'll be some substitution. And most of the substitution, by the way, the reason people are very unhappy is that it seems to substitute walking if it's a scooter, or it seems to substitute transit if it's an e-bike. And we're seeing this right now as people saying, oh, you know, this isn't so good for the environment is, you know, if we're not substituting cars, which should be the target here. But again, it's just that it's early days and those early days, it looks like, yeah, it's like cars versus horses. But yep. over time, over time, I think as people realize that, hey, this lets me do things I wouldn't do otherwise, we end up with the creation of suburbia in the car world or microburbs or whatever we're going to call them. Uh, the idea of sort of creation of maybe a more dense dense living environment. Uh, the, the cities, we, we cannot envision them because no one could have envisioned quite the wor world's, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, car-centric nature as it is today. The, the the amount of space that is given to the car in the city, the amount of uh, money that's spent on infrastructure for cars, none of this would have been conceivable in the mm. 1910s. It just would have been a world that looked like science fiction or dystopian, actually. Um, but what we have potentially with micromobility is a, is, the, is a notion that people could live a little bit more close to one another because it 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 would enable this kind of, um, let's say, more more dense living environments with the freedom. The density problem is that transit is the usual way highly dense cities um, 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 are, are provided with transport. So I'm thinking, for example, great Asian cities that I visited, like um, Taipei, Shanghai, Hong Kong, Singapore, which are very well served by 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 transit, but yep. within those environments, you 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 know the the micro mobility with the right infrastructure could really sort of reshape it once more to a um, a very livable uh, city that is is you know has um, uh, a lot of uh, green space where where streets used to be. Mm -hmm. um, and and so people would be able to tra you know travel more. Now that takes decades to develop, and we'll see many experiments in that direction. But you cannot declare the the result or the future of micromobility without looking at the way it it changes the, the environment, the lived environment. This is fascinating. So I want to go back to that that original uh, point though, which was about business model innovation versus competence i guess the part that I, I really i have found surprising about the discussion around disruption and, and micromobility has been the fact that even if you can see these things coming if your business model dictates that you're stuck with these other ways of doing things that you're right. kind of yeah you, 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 right i think what you're referencing is the second part of my tweet which was that uh, uh, smart people can see it yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not that seeing it or not seeing it. A lot of educated people see disruption, but they are unable to react to it. And so the the it's not that the incumbents, let's say whether you're automakers or transit authorities today, you look at micromobility, it's not like you can't make a scooter. Or uh, if you're an author transit authority, you can't make a, a, a scooter sharing service um, that that you know would uh, would serve your customers. 
Um, in fact, I, I think if, a, if, 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 uh, if you gave the problem to an automaker to make a great micro vehicle, they would do a fantastic job. They would, they have yes. the best engineers, um, or a transit authority saying, which has all these stations and all this rolling stock and all of these, uh, uh service personnel. And you say, okay, you now run a, a sharing service for micro vehicles, or at least integrate them seamlessly together with your transit, F find ways to actually put vehicles on your transit uh, uh, vehicles and so on and micro vehicles on top of transit and all this other stuff sort of uh, do trip chaining really cleverly and find ways to bundle pricing oh amazing what you could end up with in terms of you know transit driven uh, micro mobility and vehicle you know and um, automotive driven micro vehicles all of these things would be tremendous successes as far as you know achievement as of technical uh, achievement no the problem with them is that they they look at this and they uh, you know in order to deliver on these great uh, great improvements as i mentioned they would have to look at their finances. Any such project, mm -hmm. any person putting forward such an idea internally, and I believe me, I was at Nokia at the time in 2007, I would put forward internally the idea of making an iPhone. People would come back and say, well, you know, that's sexy, certainly. You've got a lot of, you know, a lot of people are super excited about this iPhone. Let's see how it would work in practice, shall we? Okay, let's see, what would be the pricing? Okay, let's see, what would be the cost in bill of materials? How do we organize ourselves in order to build software and hardware together in such an integrated fashion? So you start to really get very tough questions, very important questions put to you as the as the you know uh, internal innovator, the internal disruptor, and you're like going to mm -hmm. be struggling to try to come up with the numbers that match the expectations. So the you know the CEO himself could or herself could come forward with such a proposal and put it in front of the board and say, well, you know, if I had two three billion dollars, I'm going to deliver the world's best micromobility service, or in the case of Nokia, the best you know touch UI phones you can imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the board would look at you and say well at what expense to your existing product lines at what expense to your existing processes and and so on it's not just money either it's like you're going to be shaking up your organization a lot of people will be unhappy and then that would be resistance from the top the resistance from the bottom would be even worse because people would say well look this is the way we do things here and this is not going to work for me and you know ahead of ford i'm not going to get my manufacturing um plants to tr churn out these uh, scooters and i'm not going to get I'm not getting my dealers are never going to put these things on the showroom floor. How, how am I going to incentivize? How do I go to market? How do I uh, build uh, the, the, the distribution for your amazingly engineered product? Well, it's exactly this. So the reason I'm asking this question is because you look at something like Jeep. So Jeep's just released an e-bike. And I just, I kind of look at that and go, I cannot, I cannot quite get my head around how they've internally organized themselves that they think this is going to be. They've effectively leveraged the Jeep brand, but it looks like it. So it's of a standard contract well, manufactured bike. It's not, and they're not the only That's ones. That's not hard to do. But like, yeah. but to remake Jeep around e-bikes? 
I think that's where it starts it's, to get in. It's very hard. You know, this is why you see intellectually they like the appeal. They might even, that effort might even come out of marketing where marketing people are totally on top of this story of e-bikes and they're like, oh, we got to put something out there to enhance our brand image as far as, you know, with the right demographics and everything else. And so, um, in fact, this was one of the criticisms that Tesla had towards the incumbents is that they treated, uh, the you know, early uh, um, efforts at making cars came out of the marketing budget of companies that were were in the car making business because they they looked at this as a as a, as a marketing effort that's sort of like we got to work on our image and so th they don't put behind the muscle of really great engineering and great distribution and great marketing and great uh, um, brand development and so on it's it's uh, it it's, seems academic if i may use that word in sort of mm -hmm. a negative way um, but it seems academic it's it's a it's it's an exercise it's not reality so, so what, what, what I, in the phrasing of my tweet, I said also, there isn't an asymmetry of competency, there's an asymmetry of business models. And within the business model are all these dirty, dirty uh, 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 details like, okay, uh, who's going to build this and who's going to market this and how are we going to make money from it and how is this going to affect our gross margins and how is this going to, how are we going to be able to convince all of our uh, super, super pumped and excited uh, uh, team members to get behind a project which seems to make no money, um, you know, uh, where their bonuses are tied to profitability. How, how, oh, and you say, well, you know, here's, here's the, here's typical corporate uh, uh, environment. So someone would say, well, you know, we can just create an artificial bonus for people. You know, we're, we're, we're going to give them bonus if the product gets a certain number of likes on Facebook or something like that. Okay. Sure. You go forward with that. But here's the, the kicker. What if another team here gets a wind of this and says, wait a minute, we're busting our ass here. In order to get proper profits into this company, and we get our bonuses on that basis, and these jokers are getting bonuses for likes? Yeah. You know, how is that going to yeah. play politically, <laughs> internally? Internally, yeah. this is the knives come out, you know, and people will start. And then the, it's not just the individuals, it's the bosses. And says, so look, everybody in my, in my team has, you know, given their best to make that, you know, Jeep Cherokee fly out the door. Okay, and now you, you you know you got these e-bike people who have created nothing but losses for organization, right? The the product is a stupid idea. No dealer is ever gonna uh, run with this, and then you give them the bonuses this year. That's how it's gonna come down. Or you, you get a recession, it gets even worse. In the recession, of people saying, "Look, I keep the lights on," and then you you're giving money to these people who are basically burning cash. Shut it down. That's the response of any organization that's going to, mm -hmm. you know, try to do something that seems from from everyone else on the outside like, wow, that's the future, man. You can't kill. Yeah, but I I, I have a biological uh, metaphor here, or or maybe a, a sort of analogy, uh, mm -hmm. which is that actually, as human beings, we're very very comfortable with this idea, and the reason is that we have something we call children. The idea of a child. <laughs> some of us, yeah. Horace. Yeah, yeah uh, some of us, some of us. But as a species, I'm just saying, as a species, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we yeah. kind of get get it. We get the idea. Even if you don't have a child, you kind of get the idea of one. Uh, and here's uh, the idea. Is, uh, let, me, let me spell it out for you. Um, is, is, is like you create a new human that's extremely useless. I mean, like literally negative value in terms of what they do. 
So they're 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 noisy, they're noisy and smelly. And on top of that, on top of that, uh, you know, imagine you're you're like a uh, you know uh, uh, you know a, a caveman, or that's not politically correct, but let's say a, a, a you know uh, early human. And you know these children that you've just created are screaming so that everyone uh, you know in in the tribe or the the clan uh, is vulnerable because the children uh, screaming will will attract attract the wolves and and uh, and, mm. and the predators right so mm-hmm. why do we tolerate these not only do they make noise and consume food they are contributing nothing and look how long it takes for them to grow up it takes like you know other species you know uh, the especially the herbivores they mm-hmm. you know they, they they're standing within hours or minutes of exactly. when they're born so they can yeah. follow the mother around and then you know they can run away a little bit from the from the threats that are out there you don't sit around if you're a uh, if you're a herbivore uh, but you know in this species in the human species this you know the, the child doesn't walk until one year doesn't talk until one year and then in, we need them to 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 become the contributors to society by the time they're like maybe 16 maybe mm-hmm. they can go out do some hunting and do some gathering or and so on and in our advanced society version of ourselves today we don't even let the children work until they're 18 or maybe a little bit earlier but basically children are not allowed to work you know we don't even allow them to be productive by law Mm-hmm. So, so what's going on here is, is uh, biologically speaking, we understand that survival of the species depends on progeny, depends on reproduction, and and we we're tolerant of the of of especially for an advanced species of a very long gestation period, a very long maturation period, and during that whole period, we need to, as society, as a whole, together protect these children. Mm-hmm. The, the way companies operate on the, on the very notion of how survival is instead very different. I'm going to give you what a biological equivalence would be. First of all, no children. And the assumption must be that everybody who, who is in the company, uh, which is ideas and, and products, must live forever. And we do everything we can to make sure that we live forever. And in order to prevent the threat, which is typically you, you die because someone attacks you, we're going to build walls and more and more armor around ourselves so that we are protected against these external factors which might destroy us and mm-hmm. kill us. So the, the notion is one of building up defenses and, and protections so that we may live forever. And then the monopoly, by the way, is effectively success in that direction. It's like we've eliminated any potential threats and therefore we shall continue doing the same thing forever. And and no at no point in time does anyone really consider the possibility of creating new versions of yourself that are slightly different. Maybe they don't quite match you. Maybe they're not complete clones. Maybe they're going to just be a little bit wandering in what they want to do in life. Um, and that is the nature of children, but in this, in the case of businesses, if they were to be children, they have to be clones. They have to effectively repeat exactly how their, their, the, the the parents are. This is the mm. fundamental mystery to me uh, as an analyst: is that why are we so intolerant of children as business, uh, as you know, creators? We don't mm. really like the idea 
we don't really like the idea and, and we, we we kind of whenever somebody proposes it we we shoot it down and yet biologically we can all completely understand the idea and uh, one of the ways i put this to once uh, uh, i gave a talk and i i mentioned this and they were, they were like all amazed and i was like huh but maybe maybe the analogy is something slightly different maybe as i was saying it i was thinking this i was saying well maybe it's more like that it's not so much children but like sperm because the ideas that are out there, there are millions and millions of them. So how do you pick from them something that even generates into a child, right? Something that gets put together with the resources necessary, which is, of course, the mother to mm -hmm. nurture it long enough so that it grows up to something becoming useful. So maybe what we're, we're mostly uh, saying is that, look, there's too many ideas out there and, 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 and we do not want to give every one of them you wouldn't want every sperm to have an egg you just would you would you would not have the resources to support all of that so what, no. what the decision yeah the decision process of businesses isn't so much like maybe children are a bad idea but like we just don't know which ones to have right because there's a million potentials out there in, in you know that we, we 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 have and so we were always looking outside and saying oh they seem to have a child over there maybe we can make one too and so you try to find the sperm to match with the egg and that create that child that somebody else made instead of just saying let's just have children and see hopefully one of them turns out well you know so this yeah. is this is why why it's it's to me one of the you know one of the deepest questions and puzzles about business theory is that we i'm not sure in the innovation i should say innovation theory is this i'm just it's not clear to me that we have the algorithm in our brain to properly prioritize the ideas that really turn out into being successes versus the 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 ones that we end, we end up uh, you know should should be killing early and and this is this is why it's it's um, it's so difficult and I I think the only value in that this podcast is really about Christensen at the end of the day is I think Christensen was the first person to to really try to create an algorithm that says okay at least maybe a heuristic at least maybe a couple of rules that you mm. should think about that will help you make the right decision. It's not that we'll always be successful with this algorithm, but it's gonna give you better odds than 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 you know just guessing. So the 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 and, and this is where where the, these tricks like jobs to be done or understanding asymmetry and, and and the humility of the low end versus the the the, the uh, you know the most demanding customers and sort of asking mm -hmm. for the the un uh the, the 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 voice that is unheard to speak up that th these are sort of basic things which are rooted in kind of you know a christian mindset that he possessed but um but anyway that, that that's how i came to it but i hope it this helps is so, this is so interesting yeah you yeah, know no, absolutely there, there's one thing in there which you know, as you kind of talk about this in the sort of more, the, the more general sense, it's one of those, so have you ever heard of um, Warren Buffett's idea of the lottery that he talks about having been born in the US and the fact mm. that he said like, I just happen to be really good at picking stocks in this particular time when picking stocks was a really valuable, really valued experience. It's like if I'd been born in the 1500s, I probably would have been, or in, in the Neanderthal time, I'm, you know, I'm fat. I'm, I'm not, I'm not exactly like hyper optimized for hunting. I just happen to have been born into the circumstance that allowed me to really thrive. And 
um, there's a sort of a wider question there, uh, which is also kind of comes up in a number of other books as well, but around how do you, how do you structure society so that those ideas can actually be captured so that a young person who grows up is able to fully live up to their potential, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think, you know, in some ways this is the, the we're talking about the same thing. It's just different areas, right? That there's. Yeah, it's, it's the, it's a struggle of, of really nurturing, um, and, and the way societies uh, nurture the new, the the, the disadvantaged, uh, but none, nonetheless those who are merit who merit. Um, yes. Or, you know, um, I, I think this 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 idea of of um, of 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 giving the, the you know, the, this was the famous thing that, that uh, Steve Jobs ran the ad, you know, th- that famous, um, those, who, those who changed. Um, um, those are the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. Yeah, so the crazy ones, that, that, yeah. that was it, that the crazy ones. And, and, and so they dedicate themselves to, to, to those. And, and that's, the, that's, you know, there's a great book out there also about creativity called um, How to Fly a Horse. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's one of those books that really also influenced my thinking about just how universal creativity is and how common it is, in fact. And even though we think many that only a few can do it, in fact, everybody can. Um, and yet, yet societies are not built to to value creativity because maybe it is like the sperm because there's just that we we wouldn't know how to prioritize it if everybody came up with something new. Um, it, so so I guess the 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 thing that got me into this this notion of thinking about micromobility is because again I was on a search I was on a search for an answer to the question of what do we do. To deliver transportation without the externalities, the costs that exist today, and also whether we were under time constraint, we had to do it quickly. So what were what were available to us were technologies and improvements and things being better. And I realized that that's not neither desirable because we end up with with uh, more, let's say, um, uh, better cars. What we needed was to change 1.2 billion cars either to reduce the total number change them all mm-hmm. to electric or yeah. to to but then i started doing the math and realizing that 7 billion people are going to need transportation personal transportation so how do we deliver that with uh, with a car in the in the first place even if it is electric it's not going to have room it's not going to have uh, uh, space to to move and space to park and it's not going to be uh, it's going to need a lot of raw materials and it's grossly inefficient in terms of power to payload ratio so that that was what made me think that we need something at the low end of of micro but again watching the world respond to this idea has been fascinating because the response hasn't been like I we totally agree with you. The response has been more like, "Hey, I have a cool idea for how we can share scooters." Not because mm-hmm. of the theory, but because sharing scooters could be profitable. It turns out that it it, it it is what the theory would suggest would exist, but nobody acts on the theory alone. Everybody says, "I've got a good idea." Oh, your theory is helpful in in making sure that I you know I I, I get faith in the idea that you know what the idea what what the theory does is provides founders and you know and inventors and innovators with uh with faith let's Mm -hmm. keep carrying on because it it, uh, history shows 
that we could we could succeed even though this seems harebrained. We could succeed even though it seems like nobody cares about it. Uh, if we if we if we do the right thing and there's a consistency to this approach that has worked in the past, then then we should pers per persist. We should continue. So that's that's where the that, that's, that's where to me the value of the theory. Yeah, absolutely. There's a one. There's one part of this as well about how it informs investors because I think exactly this is exactly the thing, right? It's like yes, founders, etc. But the investors are the ones who, in some ways, I think are the ones who need to have the most faith. Like, and if a founder is sort of deep into it, but if someone who wants to go and commit ca capital or stick the path or whatever, um, and think about it in terms of allocating, when oftentimes it might not seem like it's the most optimal, at least in that moment, but can see that there's a long-term position where this will be the dominant way of doing a new way of something. Um, the, the, we had talked right before we started recording this and you said that the um, in theory an investor should should maybe look at a product and dislike it um, but still but understand the theory and be willing to commit right so here's yeah you made a comment about actually I think it was Tesla if I may repeat this so you said you know I, I may like the product but I, I I'm not an investor and I thought about it for a moment and I said, well, could we look at the world the opposite way, sort of, could you actually dislike a product and um, and yet still invest in the company? And it does, is that what disruption really means? And here's what, what I mean, and it sounds perverse, right? How why would you invest in a product, in a company whose product you dislike? Well, because if you're a sophisticated user, um, consumer or otherwise, you don't won't have the instinct to consume a product that is not for you. So it's like a low-end product. So we're seeing this right now again. I see it every single time, over and over again, with Apple's, uh, uh, you know, new product. So so I I, I received an earful when. Um, when I participate in this comment about I forget exactly, but basically, you know, the trajectory of the of the new M processor and A series processors, which preceded it uh, from from Apple. And it shows like, you know, that they're exceeding the performance of Intel's uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, computer. And the response from a lot of people has been, well, AMD is still pretty fast. Or yeah. if it wasn't for Intel missing the beat on the nanometer uh, uh, in, 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 you know, reductions, like they're on 14 nanometers, if only they had moved more quickly, and it's bad management on their part, that they didn't go fast enough mm -hmm. into this new technology, then Intel would still be on top of the game. And the x86 architecture is still superior because, you know, AMD is carrying the torch and this and that and on and on. So these like very, very erudite people who know everything about the microprocessor industry and know everything about the which was the latest version of which product and what architecture and what speed and feeds and everything else about it, they would all be saying how, well, Apple's just lucky or, you know, if it wasn't for the, for the mistakes made by, by, uh, by our side, our team, we would be winning still. And you see, mm -hmm. within that, within that there's, there's this notion that these people could not be caught with uh, uh, an A-series computer um, as their primary computer. These are the most demanding customers, and they are very well aware of the high end of the market. 
Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be, you know, gamers who build their own gaming uh, computers or game PCs. These would be people sure. who would be, uh, you know, up to speed on all the latest developments from, and maybe on the server side as well. They would be data center, data center um, uh, operators who are really on top of the on that. And those people, if you ask them, what would you invest in? This should be uh, the 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 question that kind of makes them sit down a bit. Because if you if you were to ask, would you invest in Intel, or would you right. invest? Even though it's it, it it's like technically serving. I mean, this is the th- this is the question, right? So like, I think about should I go and invest in a in in car makers who I know are going to be good quality. You know, they're going to they're they're incumbent in theory. They or, or or even mobility operators who like Harley Davidson, for example, which in theory is going to make the transition to electric versus yeah, it, uh, exactly. versus like it, new micro mobility players and whether or not they're going to be the ones who necessarily like if, even though they might you, provide underserving products, you know. So I'm 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 a sort of a very big car guy, and I used to be more so perhaps. But 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 the idea is that I know my cars. I know pretty much what is good and what isn't good, and this is the 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 the, the quality question. But I would not, and I should not invest in the car maker. Mm-hmm. And and so in fact, it, car people today, and no matter how uh, obsessed you might be about BMW or or Porsche or Ferrari, uh, you should think really hard about uh, maybe what is the opposite product in terms of what I what I think is 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 great. You know, what is the least mm-hmm. great car I can imagine, and then invest in that. <laughs> that, that that is a that I'm is going a to fact. Buy, I'm going to invest in a larder manufacturer. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, with some you know, I'm some, kidding. With I'm some kidding. consideration, no, no, I know, I know. but but yes, yeah, that yeah. would have been the question from the 1970s if you were in, into you know if you were into cars and you were what was happening. Okay, besides the oil crisis but you were had the muscle cars in the late 60s in the united states nobody could touch the american muscle car market in terms of horsepower and you had these amazing cars that were coming out and and um the europeans were nowhere near i mean maybe they were a little bit more sophisticated but they couldn't match the power of the american muscle so at that moment in time in comes japan with like these really small four-cylinder engined uh, initially very rust-prone cars. And, mm-hmm. and so if you looked at those cars back then, you would have said, well, that's the crummiest little cars. Now, you know, maybe they would have been crummier um, as well. But the thing is that, would you really invest in that company called Toyota? Now, yeah. another similar thing happened in the 90s when Hyundai, I remember the very first Hyundai that came to the United States, it was called the Hyundai Elantra, but something like that, maybe. It was a mm-hmm. name that I forgot, but it was... Elantra, it was, was, that, that was my buy, Hyundai, yeah. Yeah, there was there was a very early car that Hyundai introduced in the U.S. market. And again, the same thing with the press coming out and saying, hmm, I don't know, now the Koreans are trying to do what, what you know, what the Japanese did, which, uh, you know, the Japanese obviously are good. By the 90s, the Japanese were dominant in the United States, right? Nobody could... The best-selling car was the Honda Accord. Mm-hmm. And and so into that market, and probably the second was the Camry. Um, and so into into that market comes these 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 Koreans, you know. And many people say, well, there's quality issues, this and that. But if you follow the path, Hyundai absolutely killed it. I mean, they just went mm. exactly following the rule book of Toyota, but they ended up with a very very strong global market. And I I think it's 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 another commendable achievement. But the the point to be made though is that. 
if you are not in love with the product maybe you should invest in it if you are as uh, you know a, a person of of great taste um and and you, you you know in the compute world it would be the same thing you might be a huge computer nerd and you look at the marketplace in in uh, in let's say in in the mid 2000s and you say okay you know where which which computer company would i invest in hp or mm-hmm. dell or, or even ibm and it turned out that all those three were 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 nothing compared to what Apple did. In, yeah. in even though it wasn't the, question, the Mac that mattered. Yeah, I guess the part in all of this is, is being able to to identify what's just crap and what's the stuff that's actually going to be disruptive over the term. And then I think that's, that's where the exact theory, question. That's where like, the theory becomes really useful, in, in terms of being able exactly. to identify it's like well what are the terms of reference anyway hey i'm just aware that we're, we're kind of running over time so we we better uh, we better end it up here um as always thank you love these love these sort of more theoretical discussions uh and um yeah also marvelous i've never heard you talk about children before horace but uh i'm, I'm gonna take that one highly highly recommended by the way <laughs> highly recommended. <laughs> excellent well thanks very much we'll talk soon take care